Well, welcome back to Church is Messy, Rick. I'm glad we, we got to talk a little bit last week, but this is the first time we're really getting to dive into this masterpiece series and the nitty gritty of, of each week as we're exploring what it looks like to be a good work of art mm-hmm. who is doing the art of good works. I love the series, and I'm excited to be able to, to talk about it a, a little bit more. I've, I've missed being able to, to kind of dig into that and maybe talk about things that didn't make it off the cutting room floor. So mm-hmm. uh, let's dive in. I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, we, we kind of set up the structure with the different good works, the, the disposition mm-hmm. that we're bringing to this as we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to reflect Jesus to the world uh, through the, the structure of the first couple of verses of Ephesians 4 that give a list of character qualities of That's what right. it looks like to live in a way that is mm-hmm. worthy of the calling that we have. And, uh, and the order was predetermined, and, and Caleb did humility for us, and the next one that came in that passage was gentleness. Yeah. So you... Uh, had the uh, the lovely task this past weekend of preaching on the topic of gentleness. And Paul introduces those qualities by saying, be completely, mm. be completely, be completely humble, be completely gentle. And oh my goodness. And I, I'm so, I find myself, if I don't talk myself out of being gentle uh, all the way, I mm. certainly talk myself out of it from time to time, hopefully not more than time to time, maybe more, uh, <laughs> at least partially, where I'm mm. like partially gentle. I was gentle enough. I mean, but Paul said, be completely, mm. be completely. And uh, so, yeah, that's messing with me. Yeah. yeah. Is this the, the kind of topic that, uh, you know, oftentimes when you're preparing a message, God, the Holy Spirit does a work in your own heart. Have, have you felt like yeah, you've been having to apply a filter of what does it look like to be completely gentle yourself? Yes. And I find, and, I, and I'm so grateful. I mean, I, I'm, listen, being, being a pastor and, and getting to prepare messages on a regular basis has been so, so, so good just for me, just as an individual. If other people benefit, great, but it has been great <laughs> for me. And I love, I just love how this has been just kind of front and center in my mind. And I've been, and, and I've been thinking about it. And so on, on what it's bittersweet because in some ways I'm, I'm looking at situations I'm currently in or, or I'm thinking through what's coming up in, in my day or in my week. And, and I'm, I'm, like gearing up uh, for for gentleness, and I feel like that's helping me. But I'm also looking back, <laughs> mm-hmm. looking back at things recently, and looking th- at things maybe not so recently, and saying, "Ah, I missed it on gentleness mm-hmm. there." And sometimes I tried to be gentle and failed, and other times I just didn't try to be gentle. And uh, yeah, and so I'm just, I'm also, it also makes me so much more thankful for the grace and the patience of God. Because mm. I'm a I'm a messy work <laughs> in progress. <laughs> well, he's doing a work in all of our lives, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And it's not just, and here's the cool thing, it's not just God's grace and kindness and gentleness uh, from him to me. It's also how that is experienced and expressed through other people who were who are followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. who who are that way to me. And that's the way that's the way the family of God's supposed to be. That's what church mm-hmm. is supposed to be like. And um, 
Yeah, I'm loving it. And yet it's not one size fits all. Mm -mm. I I appreciated your comment at the beginning of the message about gentleness not being a feminine quality necessarily. And and you really demonstrated gentleness requiring a high degree of strength. It does. Um, And and I appreciated that you brought that out. You're a leader that values the different aspects of how men and women can both bring their perspectives to a text and their Mm -hmm. perspectives to what it means to live out this Christian life. And some men and women might have had some some preconceived ideas about what it means to be gentle in the beginning and yet as you rightly pointed out being gentle is something that we are all called to be and it's not called for one gender or the other absolutely and and i, and I appreciate you, you you saying those things but yeah it is this comes from who god is this is essential to who god is and we're, we're made we're, we're made in his image and i'm not an anthropologist um, I'm not. A, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know that I'm. I'm in a great spot to be able to kind of just riff on maybe how uh, men have certain advantages and disadvantages in expressing this, and how maybe women have certain advantages and disadvantages in expressing gentleness. But I do know this: that we are uh, equally uh, made in the image of God. And one of the things that's interesting, uh, I, w- I was actually just listening to a theologian and historian who who I like a lot, John Dixon, on my drive-in this morning. He was, talk- he was talking about this, and he just reminded me and everybody else who's listening to his podcast that originally um, this was this statement was written in Genesis, uh, beginning in Genesis 1, 27, uh, to people who had grown up in Egypt and only Pharaoh was made in the image of God. Mm. And in Genesis uh, 1, 27 being about God creating male and female both in his image. That's right. <laughs> and only, only Pharaoh was made in the image of God. And there wasn't only uh, um, male royalty at that time, but only, only men who were who were rulers were described as being made in the image of God and John Dixon just said, just said you know uh, when Moses wrote this he democratized it that um, that no 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 this is this is groundbreaking this is revolutionary the truth is both men and women are equally made in the image of God and so we both get the the pleasure uh, the privilege and the ability to be able to express these different attributes like gentleness Mm -hmm. because we're made in his image and then of course all of that is kind of restored and supernaturally empowered by our relationship with jesus and the spirit holy spirit of god working in our lives and so i i just say lean in yeah even if you're on the struggle bus like me sometimes lean in it's a joy well, and that gets right to the heart of what we're exploring in this Masterpiece series, that we are created by the master artist, the mm-hmm. one who himself is gentle. He he defines himself as being a gentle God, mm-hmm. and he's given us that attribute as well. And so as we're created to do good works, uh, be doing things with a disposition of gentleness is a, a key part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's explore a little bit more. You brought us to a passage in John chapter 8 where we see the incredible strength and brilliance and gentleness of Jesus while in uh, a rather difficult and awkward situation. Yeah, what a hard situation. Yeah. And there I, were so many details in this passage that you brought out and that I saw that, that I've just overlooked before, so I was excited really? to talk about that. Really? Well, hit me with some of the ones that you're like, yeah, I just I love focusing on that. Yeah, well, right from the beginning when it talks about how Jesus was surrounded by this great crowd of people mm-hmm. with the purpose there to teach them, mm-hmm. and that he sat down yeah. to teach them. You can just picture this here where he's 
just excited to pour into the mm -hmm. people around him to mm -hmm. teach them something good. He's sitting down. This isn't just like they're having a chat and someone says, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Like he was actively engaged in trying to teach people yeah. when these other people come in and rudely interrupt him. This woman is paraded in front of the whole group. Mm -hmm. How humiliating. Mm -hmm. How humiliating. Oh, my goodness. The the shame. I, I'm... As I've been studying and thinking and preparing, I've tried to put myself in her shoes. And I just, I mean, there have been times where I have felt extreme embarrassment and shame. And I, I don't even know if that got close to what it must mm -hmm. have been like um, mm -hmm. to be in her shoes in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you know, I think I've had this thought in this passage before, but I thought you did a good job of really bringing out the point that John is trying to make in this passage, that the heart behind this, the confrontation that happened here was not to try to purify sin. Mm -mm. It was purely to try to catch Jesus in a trap. Yeah. And, and they were using her sin to try to discredit Jesus rather than having a, a pure conscience about, you know, this woman isn't following the law. Can I get on a soapbox a little bit? Maybe go on a tangent that you and I didn't talk about. <laughs> right. I mean, do we see that now? Mm. Do we see people doing that now? I listen. I'm not going to name names. That's that's that's. I I don't like I don't like speaking about other organizations or other people, especially when they don't have an opportunity to answer questions or defend themselves or to or to help me see an aspect of why they do what they do that maybe I wasn't able to see. But I got to tell you. It seems like there's a lot of people out there that want to use the Bible and want to use theology to just expose other people. Mm -hmm. And there's like it, it doesn't feel driven by a love for God, a deep appreciation for his word, mm -hmm. and a love for all people involved, even those who are engaged in sin. And here's this, the radical love of Jesus is that his love is generously poured out for all. He's not sifting through trying to figure out who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, who are the white hats, who are the black hats. It is love poured out generously mm -hmm. for all involved, mm -hmm. regardless of level of guilt. And uh, I'm just, I think we can use more of that. I want to be more like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I am like that, but I do want to be more like that. And I think I think we could just I think we could use I think we could use more of that. So can I just say if you're drawn to people on social media? Or if you're drawn to people in certain publications or news outlets who love, who seem to have built their career and their reputation on pointing out faults in others, that might not always be wrong. Mm. But a steady diet of that I don't think is healthy. Mm. It seems as a parent mm -hmm. and watching children do mm. this to their siblings <laughs> that maybe that's just part of our our nature, mm -hmm. and it's something that we need to conquer. Yeah, <laughs> It's it, not a skill that we necessarily have to be taught. We all seem mm -hmm. to have this instinct to try to point out, hey, someone else is doing something wrong here. Yeah, yeah. It is sin. It's also immature. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's go there a little bit, though. Okay. So the, the difficult side of that, though, is that there are times where it is totally appropriate by scripture and just by by community decency mm -hmm. to point out when there is something that is going on that is not healthy. So, and this is a question that comes up frequently where people mm -hmm. will be asking, you know, so on one hand, it seems like the Bible is telling me not to be judgmental towards other people. On the other hand, it's saying that I should judge yeah. sin. 
Palm. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And part of what we're fumbling with is not necessarily what the Bible communicates, but uh, the trickiness of our own language. And sometimes the Eng- English language is not as precise as we need it to be. And then sometimes just the way we use it is less than is is not as precise as it can be, um, as as language actually is. And so on this particular subject, I. I if you can explain it to teenagers, you could probably explain it to just about anybody. And so uh, for about 12 or 13 years of my life, I was a, I was a youth pastor, and, and I had to explain this to, to high school students. And the mm-hmm. way that I discovered that I could explain it with them uh, that clicked uh, was through using this, this kind of story. And what we're trying to do is acknowledge the difference between judgment as discernment um, and being able to choose between what is right and wrong and wise and foolish and then judgment as condemnation, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Judges are the ones who have the authority to condemn. I'm not a judge, and I'm not the ultimate judge for sure. God is the one who who has the right to either um, acquit or condemn. Uh, people, that's not me. So I don't want to do. I don't want to do condemnation. So this is how I did it. So I told I told these teenagers. So you go to a party uh, with a friend who is your ride. You have no other ride, and uh, you you expect it's just going to be a kind of a cool layback party. And for the most part, it is. But then there's just some kind of some shenanigans going on, and there's some people who are drinking. And the person who you rode with, they got involved in that crowd. You didn't realize it, and it's time to leave. Curfew is coming. You don't want to get in trouble with your parents. But your ride is sloshed. The mm-hmm. person who drove you to the party, they are drunk. Mm-hmm. And they pull and you you're scared for them, you're scared for yourself. You know that it's you know that it's no good. And when they pull up and it's time to jump in the car, do you say, Well, I should get in the car because it's wrong to judge? <laughs> and they're like, No, that would be so dumb to get in the car. I said, So you get it. You get it. There's an aspect of judge. It's like, this is not good for you, this is not good for me, this is not good for anybody. So none of us should be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's judgment. But if you like if you tried to shame your friend, mm. <laughs> right, um, that's, a, that's a totally different thing. You're not condemning them, right? Um, maybe law enforcement does that. Mm-hmm. But you are, as, as far as, you know, arresting them, giving them punishment, you're not trying to punish them. You're just saying, hey, this is no good for you. This is no good for me. I'm not participating. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to do that. And there, there are many, many times that we're going to find ourselves somewhere kind of on a spectrum where we're going to say, hey, um, that's wrong and it should not be. Hey, I'm not going to participate in that with you, or I'm not going to. I'm going to stand against you, and I'm not going to allow this to continue. Because if we did, it would be not only harmful for you and harmful for me, but harmful for others. And so, it takes it takes a measure of discernment and wisdom to know where we are, kind of in that continuum of mm-hmm. judgment. But what we are not doing is we are not condemning, mm-hmm. and we're not saying I'm morally better than you. I might be living by a set of morals that are superior to your set of morals, but I'm not morally superior. So talk a little bit more about that, because you had a, mm-hmm. a good line in the message about that there are superior morals, but not morally superior people. Mm-hmm. And when we recognize that we are all under the same standard of morality, mm-hmm. and uh, and that none of us are getting it perfect all yeah. the time. Could I, could we let the former philosophy student kind of come out and perhaps be a, a tad <laughs> obnoxious, that that version of Rick is a tad obnoxious. We all live under the same moral truth, 
right? Because that's okay. inflexible. We don't pick it. That's picked by that's that's an expression of God Himself. It's not picked by God. It's an expression of God, right? And His essence, His standard, who He is, that is holiness, and that is the moral authority and and the moral standard under which we all live. Uh-huh. People do pick their own moral codes, so we're not all living under the same morality, but we all do live under this exact same moral objective truth, whether we acknowledge it or not. Okay, I so can that, see the distinction in that. So, so that's okay, great. Uh-huh. Thank, <laughs> thank you for your gentleness and your <laughs> graciousness, and, allo- and, and allowing me to go, to go there um, for a second, right? And so, um, a moral code that says it's okay for those in power to lie to people who follow them so that they can um, accomplish something good, I would say is inferior to a moral code that says it's never okay for those in power to lie to those who follow them, even if it's with a good intent. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, unless you're that person in power who's trying to get your way, you would recognize, I don't want people in power over me lying to me. I want them to tell me the truth because every lie comes with a price tag. Every lie is a hostile act against reality. That's not okay. There mm-hmm. are there are morals that are, that are there are moral codes that are superior to other moral codes. But from a biblical viewpoint, and if you don't trust the Bible, you may not believe me on this, and that's okay. But from a biblical viewpoint, anybody who takes Jesus seriously understands that from top to bottom, from inside out, every aspect of us, we are we are we are morally broken, and we all fall short of God's glory. Mm-hmm. In Romans, where it says that it does, it's not like we have fallen short. It it is it's ongoing action. We all continue mm-hmm. to fall short of God's glory. Um, I'm super grateful for a guy like like the Apostle Paul in First Timothy uh, chapter one when he's talking about uh, talking to this young pastor about their various streams of false teaching and heresy and corruptive things that are kind of spilling into this church and how to how to how to deal with that, what the Apostle Paul does is basically says, I was just like those people who are doing that now, um, but God was gracious with me. And then that's where he says, I am the chief of sinners, or I am the worst of sinners. He doesn't say, I used to be. He says, I am. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really it's a humble truth. <laughs> it's the it, it's a humble truth. It's a hard truth. It's an inconvenient truth. Whatever you want to call it, but the, the reality is when we see the holiness of God, even your sin is different than my sin. We have all sinned against an infinitely good and mm-hmm. true and beautiful and holy and wonderful God. Mm-hmm. It's so. It's not about do I think yours is worse than mine or mine's better than or anything like that. That doesn't matter. It's we've sinned against an infinitely good God, mm-hmm. and that's how we should that's how we should view our sin. And we have sinned against people who are infinitely valuable because they are made in the image of that infinitely good God. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that's how we should be thinking about our sin, not. How not some sort of social comparison theory of how we think we stack up in our moral performance compared to others. Because when you begin with the perspective of I violated God's law, I've sinned against a infinitely good God, and I've sinned against people who are infinitely valuable because they're made in His image, then we realize that the comparison is nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's it's nonsense when we're trying to see where we stack up. 
There's so many directions I'd love to hear you go with that. But mm-hmm. one of the insights that you brought out in the message was the the tension that we see in this story in John mm-hmm. chapter 8 with the Pharisees not being wrong that the punishment that the law had given for this woman being caught in adultery was death. Yes. And and that feels extreme to us, and you help to kind of walk through some of the context of that. But what I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. is just the recognition that there God does have, um, and, and philosopher Rick can put this into the correct term, but, but does have a framework for morality that uh, isn't just an arbitrary set of rules that he put together, mm-hmm. but is something that just is emanating from him because of the character of who he is. Can you talk a little bit more about God's morality and, and how that gives us some guidelines to live in? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so all, all, all moral truth, all things that are, are good, um, these are not ideas that God picked and said, you know what, this would be great. Let's do that. And it's not things that God discovered. These are things that flow out of who he is. Every command, every command of God flows out of the nature of who he is. And so this is, we're going to, we're going to do big picture view. Okay. And so remember when Jesus said, this is what the greatest commandment is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. And the second is like it, or the second is equal to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets can be summarized in that. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a couple of things going on here. Number one, every command that's ever been given is, is nothing more and is nothing less than an expression of love. And that's an expression of who God is because God is love. Mm-hmm. And so every command is an expression of love. And love is who God is. So every command is an expression of who God is. Um, and so it's helpful for us to remember that when, when my kids were little and there, there were times like my kids, like all kids ask why they want to know why. And sometimes I could explain it. And then sometimes being able to explain why their mother and I had a rule, uh, or a guideline in our house was beyond their ability to understand. But this is what they could understand is that we love them. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments, I would just say, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to trust me Mm -hmm. and that I love you. And everything your mother and I say is because we love you, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is, an ex- this is an expression of love. So I'm not asking you to, to agree. I'm not even asking you to understand. I'm asking you to trust that I, that I love you. And so I just kind of want to start there. Mm-hmm. So just kind of lay the groundwork there. Every command is an expression of love. So, so commands like don't commit adultery is because adultery ultimately and fundamentally is a violation of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lying is a violation of love. Gossip is a violation of love. Complaining, incessant complaining is a violation of love. Greed is a violation of love. Everything that is morally repugnant, everything that is morally wrong, even the sins that we all kind of enjoy, <laughs> they're all violations of love. Mm-hmm. And we were ultimately made to be a reflection of the one who is love and to live a life of love. And if I could kind of keep going on this a little bit, yeah. ultimate reality is ultimately about relationships. 
Now, this is why I say that, because God is a trinity. God is one in being and three in persons for all eternity. God is a community of persons uh, who are delighting in each other, loving each other, deferring to each other, perfect joy and happiness and peace and satisfaction in that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we are made to reflect him. We are, we are made to reflect what, what God is like. So we are made to reflect love and we are made for community. And every time, every single time that we engage in any sort of sin, it cuts us off and even can cut others off from love and the community for which we were made. Mm. At the beginning of this series, we talked about that death from a biblical perspective isn't necessarily cease to exist. But when we're talking about human beings, what we're talking about, that death really means being cut off. And if you look at the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, and you shudder at it or you wince at it or you want to pretend that it's not there, you're going to have a hard time with Jesus. And here's why. All sin leads to death. Unless there, there is an atonement, unless there's some sort of payment for it, unless there's some sort of way to fix it and resolve it, all sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So if you look at that and say, I just don't think it's right that, that uh, men and women should have been executed for adultery, okay, you are, you are, you are, you are at, you're at a great place to be. You're at, I think you're at a great place to be because you are reckoning with who God is and what it means to be connected with him. Mm. And so if you're saying, I just don't think that sin's a big deal, I want to go my way, you are raising your hand and saying, I volunteer to be cut off. Mm. And I don't want that for me. And I don't want that for anyone. Life and joy and thriving and flourishing is only found in harmony with him. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes, the thief, Satan, the father of lies comes to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life abundantly. Now, there's a lot about the mosaic. I'm not, what I'm going to say next is not downplaying scripture at all. So just hang, buckle up and hang with me. There's so much about the mosaic law that's real. It's not allegorical. But it invited and brought the people of Israel into a living metaphor where they were representing over and over and over again through their interactions, through their behaviors, to the rest of the world what it meant to be with God. Mm -hmm. And rejecting that and violating that meant being cut off. And that's what death is. And that's why death is the consequence for not just some sins, but for sin, period. Mm -hmm. And it was to point to an ultimate purpose, like I said on Sunday, is stunningly gentle, that and it should just inspire awe in us that Jesus said, I got that. I'm going to fulfill all of that. I will carry the weight of all of that by, by the brokenness in my own body through the shedding of my own blood. I will cover every sin that you've ever experienced. I will make you right. I'm going to give you my status of righteous. And you get to be fully included mm-hmm. in this relationship with the triune God experiencing community as God always intended, experiencing love from who God is. And so this is why we take these things so seriously. Mm -hmm. This is why we are not casual with sin. When we talk about when we talk about sexual sin, whether we're talking about divorce, pornography, masturbation, lust, uh, homosexuality, whatever, whatever, 
It's not because we're mad at people. And it's not because we're grumpy. And it's not because we think our rules are better than their rules. Is we want people to know what they were made for. And we want people to experience the depth of joy and thriving and flourishing that's only found in Christ. Mm. And so we share his word. And we talk about these things. And we talk about not just what it says, but really what it's trying to communicate and why God would relate to us this way. And he relates to us this way because he is gentle, because he is compassionate. The very first way that God ever described himself to humanity is that he is compassionate, and it came immediately after grotesque, serious rebellion and idolatry by the people of Israel immediately after being rescued mm-hmm. from slavery. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're going to deal with this. There's the first thing you got to know about me. I'm compassionate. That's an incredible description of God. Are we going to be a part of that? Mm-hmm. We get to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. We get to live that out. And what happens? What happens when our church says, oh, count me in. We're just going to do that together. We're going we're gonna to be like that with one another. How in the world is that not going to woo people to Jesus in this community and beyond? What I really appreciate about the the picture that mm-hmm. you just drew there for us and understanding this concept is in no way does it minimize the seriousness of sin. No way. And, and that's not what we saw of Jesus in this passage either. He mm-hmm. wasn't disregarding the woman's sin. He wasn't mm-hmm. just saying, you know, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. You get mm-hmm. a pass this time or anything like that. It's not minimizing sin in any way. Nope. It's actually to understand this, to realize that every sin that we commit, that Jesus has said, I will be the one who will pay the consequence for this for you, is humbling. It's when we realize the weight, the serious, the significance of our sin. It's not just my own death. Mm -hmm. I'm contributing to Jesus's death in that. And when we understand that, it it puts sin in a a very... um, I'm trying to find the word that's big enough to convey this. I don't know if there is, but it's sobering, isn't it? Yes, yes. So let's talk about confrontation. I'm really... I'm really not ready to confront anybody until I'm doing it from this perspective. Mm. That's when I'm most ready. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to communicate. And I know I said it quickly. And I, I almost every Sunday now I find myself wishing that I had an hour to preach and I only have, <laughs> you know, only have 30 to, to, to 35 minutes. But because there's so much I want to say. But this is what I was trying to say about gospel confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's we know the content of the gospel. And all the things we just talked about, it's part of the content of the gospel. We understand the implications and we're motivated by the gospel. And that means we're motivated by love and wanting what's in the best interest of all involved. And so we have to be, we have to be incredibly gentle in how we confront. That doesn't mean timid and it doesn't mean afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, it doesn't mean backpedaling. And it doesn't mean soft selling, and it doesn't mean pretending like sin and wrongdoing are not big deals. But we do it from the perspective of all the things we just talked about. And, and let me tell you something that I maybe do 3% of the time. Okay. Maybe 3% of the time I remember, you know what? I'm never going to be, I, 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 I'm never going to be more disappointed in you than I am in myself. Mm. I love the version of me when I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that version of me when, when when I remember that and I'm trying to remember it more. I'm convinced it's true. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. I'm not convinced. I'm a great example of it, 
but I'm convinced it's true and good. And just to be clear, you're you're referencing your sin in that's that right. specifically. Yeah. Not not a self-esteem kind of issue, but that's right. But. No, it, your sins might be different than my mm-hmm. sins, but big whoop, I've sinned against an infinite God. I don't I don't want to get in a comparison game. Doesn't matter. I lose no matter what. Mm-hmm. So of course, I'm never going to be. I'm not going to be more disappointed in you than I am in myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's I think a good framework for being completely humble and gentle. It helps. Mm-hmm. It should it should it should help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the the points that you brought out in the message was the idea of confronting people in a way that appeals to their dignity. So when we do find ourselves mm-hmm. in a position, not that we're wanting to confront someone in order to trap Jesus like this, but in a way that appeals to someone's dignity, what what would that look like? Yeah, I want to I want to honor who people are. I want to do everything within my power uh, to honor. Um, their perspective, and I also want to honor their experience. And so I, I, I've seen other people, I've learned from other people who are way better at this than me. And it's not just, it's not like a, a, a tactic, it's who they are. And I've appreciated that. And I want to, I want to be this kind of person where, where I remember, you know, like, let's say you and I are kind of in, in, a, in a confrontation, mm-hmm. um, or I feel like I have to address something with, with you. Um, if I had your if I, if I had your experience, that might be how I would approach things. That might be how I would think about things. Um, so I want to be honoring in, in that regard. Um, and so that's helpful to remember, especially especially in times of, of disagreement. But um, but I also just I also remember this that at the end of the day, you really want things like significance, security, and satisfaction in life. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe you pursued something that's not actually going to get that. Maybe maybe you did something in, in a not-so-great way, or maybe you sinned, even grievously. We're going to use our imaginations here. <laughs> I'd like to say that's <laughs> uh, But at the end of the day, you want security, significance, and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. We all want that, and mm-hmm. we're made for that. So I can speak to that. Mm-hmm. And and if I really do care about you and want the best interest. Uh, for uh, your best interest, um, then I can I can speak to I can speak to that too. Say, hey, I I know that this was I I know this is what you want, or I know this is your intent, or I know this is what you're going after. But this was what the impact was. Can mm-hmm. we talk about that? Mm-hmm. You know, or listen, I I know, listen, I know this is not easy to hear uh, for for me, um, but I love you, and I'm going to be that kind of friend who's always honest with you, and I care about you, and so that's why I want to talk about it and. I, I, I can get in the sense that this is this is heavy to hear, and so it hurts me to say it. But I just want you to know I'm root, I'm in your corner. I'm rooting for you. But this mm-hmm. is, but that's when we're kind of up close with people. Yeah, well, um, confrontational conversations also often seem to go better when we put ourselves in the, yeah. if not literal, the metaphorical way of being shoulder to shoulder with someone rather than being nose to nose with them. Yeah, but I would say look for common ground. And speak and leverage that you have you have common ground with every person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, some people it's easier to spot than others, but you have it, and so take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that's a whole podcast episode. Sometimes how do we do healthy confrontation? How do we do healthy confrontation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mm-hmm. should teach on that. I've got to. Uh, I I want to keep I want to keep talking, but uh, I have the privilege of uh, going and visiting with a gentleman who's in the hospital. I don't want to be late. Mm-hmm. Good work of the ministry. Even though those circumstances are not are not fun, there is real joy 
uh, and being uh, being with folks. Can I just give you one more sentence before you yeah. go? Because actually what you're getting at just yeah. launches right into what you said about that there's a call for people to be pastors. Yeah. And you're about yeah. to go do some of the beautiful work mm-hmm. of getting to be a pastor. Do yeah. you want to just share your heart for for calling people to the ministry? People at Autumn Ridge have heard me say this. You know, leadership is a destination of discipleship. Following Jesus is going to lead us to being leaders in some way. Um you know, uh, because of our beloved uh, previous lead pastor, John Steer, everyone is very familiar, who was here during his time, is very familiar with Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. And he once said, uh, every Christian here uh, who is not a missionary is an imposter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a, um, but there's there's something different that is taking on a level of responsibility and servanthood within um, within a local church through through ministry. And let me just say, we do not have enough pastors for the churches that currently exist or the churches that need to be planted. Mm-hmm. And if we care about uh, we care about the people of this nation and we care about them knowing Jesus, the church is God's plan A to reach folks, which means we've got to have pastors. Mm-hmm. And so I want to invite you to consider being a pastor, perhaps God has been working in you. Perhaps God is working in your sons or daughters to be pastors. Parents, would you encourage that and not be too scared to encourage that? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in a career right now, perhaps all the things you've done and to build up to that career are things that God wants to bring into the leadership of the church and he wants to use you in that way. So would you even just be willing to pray, God, I never even considered this before. But if this is something you want me to consider, I'll be open to hearing what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to pray that prayer? Um, if so, I think uh, I think God. I think we're going to see that God starts to call men and women into vocational ministry across this country for the good of this country and serving the kingdom of Jesus. Mm-hmm.